You're listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. Brian is an attorney who represents startups, nonprofits, arts organizations, and people who work in the creative industries. As an arts entrepreneur, Brian is the founder and CEO of Performing Arts Live, a Pennsylvania nonprofit corporation dedicated to creating and supporting live performance opportunities for jazz and electronic artists. Its flagship program is the Allentown Jazz Fest. Brian is a TEDx speaker, a Grammy voter, and jazz musician. Creative Confidential begins now. Today's guest is the terrific jazz violinist, Scott Tache. Scott, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, it's I, I almost made the mistake of, of saying up and coming just because uh, you're you're still in your you know you're still in your twenties, right? I just turned I just turned thirty, unfortunately. Okay, <laughs> well, it's not as bad as you think. I was twenty nine. I was twenty nine. Let's let weeks ago <laughs> i mean you've you've really taken um not only the new york jazz scene but i think in, you know in this style of music um you, you've really very very quickly established a name for yourself among you know all of the top level uh players and we'll we'll, we'll get into that a little bit but um you know tell us a little bit and we we played we played some excerpts from your most recent recording uh, before we got started today, so people that aren't familiar with you could hear what you do. Um, when I first had heard of you, um, I had thought, you know, well, it's jazz violin. It's probably kind of in that Django Reinhardt kind of you know gypsy style, but it's not at all like that. At least the, the the material that I've heard. I mean, you could you could in another ensemble pluck the saxophone player out or the trumpet player out, and then substitute what you do, and it takes up all of the same space. And improvisationally, it's it's um, the, just because of the tone of the instrument. It's it's such a fresh take on on um, on jazz. It's you're really doing things that nobody else is doing right now. Um, uh, thank you for the <laughs> for the compliment, but um, yeah, uh, uh, for me it's like uh, I don't know all the other thing you said. It's pretty like uh, it's it's pretty nice, and I'm sure it's good for for my ego. But uh, <laughs> but the fact is like uh, it takes. Uh, it, it, I'm still working on it. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not done. You know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm still trying to get um, better and uh, play better. And I've been doing that for for a long time since uh, I was like maybe uh, 13 or 14 years old. I mean, I was a classical player before I started playing violin when I was six six years old. But um, I w- I was really interested uh, into the jazz music uh, since I was like 13 or 14 years old. So for me, it, it doesn't seem to be so fast to to make. Um, to learn all those things, you know, it, it took me years, and I, I'm still working on it. So it's a long, uh, it's a long road, you know, long uh, um, journey. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Um, now, you did you come from a musical household? Were your parents artistic? Um, yeah, my my mom is a is a dance teacher. She's a she's a choreographer. So she 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 does modern jazz and Afro jazz, Afro jazz. And she is also a pianist, so she plays piano, classical piano. Uh, she has a perfect, uh, perfect pitch. So she, she uh, I don't know, it's, it's like uh, she was teaching me um, solfege and all those things. But I was also at the conservatory at the same time. And my father is a is a uh, actor, an actor for for theater. Like uh, so, he doesn't sing because in France, when you uh, an actor, you mostly uh, do. Uh, classical plays, you know, like uh, uh, Shakespeare, uh, Molière. Mm-hmm. So he is like a, an actor on on stage, like, on stage like this, and he plays uh, uh, like uh, plays. <laughs> so yeah, and I guess yeah. What was so your adoption of jazz though at at age thirteen or fourteen is 
is, is a little bit younger than now we, we other guests we've had on the podcast uh, would include Steve Coleman or uh, Jeff Watts or um, uh, Lawrence Hopgood. We just had on uh, right. last week, and you know when you when you kind of trace through their beginnings, you know that that point mm-hmm. of when you know that a certain musical style grabs you is different. It happens at different ages. Yeah. Um, what what was it for you? Was there any particular artist or recording that you heard that made you think, "Boy, this is this is where I want to go with my oh, playing"? Yeah, for me it was like a, a series of uh, of events. You know, of uh, I still remember like uh, the first time I I improvised. You no, know, I didn't even know what it means, uh, what it meant to to improvise. And I I think I was like. Um, I was probably 12 or 13, and I was on a on a camp for a school camp. You know, like when you go in France, you have this this thing when you go for a weekend outside of your city and you 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 do you explore like a countryside or whatever. So I was there with my class, and uh, I I brought my violin because uh, I was serious about practicing every day classical music at the time and. So I remember nobody else in the class was playing music, and I brought my violin. So everybody was kind of intrigued by the thing I brought, and and I forgot I forgot my my music. I didn't took any music, so I had to to play things by memory. And at at some point, I think we were like in a it was in, in the countryside, and I heard uh, music. It was at the at the bar, like. Uh, not far from the, where we were staying, and you know, um, I just I, I just went there, and I mean, it was not really a bar, so I, I could. <laughs> it was like more like a, um, I don't know, like a club, or I don't know what it was, but the music were there were music musician playing live. So I, I came in, and I I heard them, and they, it was pretty chill. They, they they saw me out of my violin. They asked me if I, I wanted to play, you know, and I said I don't know. I, I play uh, classical music. I don't, they just take your violin and uh, try try to play with us, you know. So I just uh, I just played and uh, uh, by here basically I was probably doing a lot of things that were not uh, <laughs> so nice, but uh, I was I was just trying trying and they they were very nice to me. They were like, oh, you should uh, you should like listen to Stefan Grappelli. You should listen to to that and this. So it's ah uh, I heard about Stefan Grappelli I think and then I went home and. Um, uh, I got like a vinyl of uh, Stefan Grappelli, and it, it was really inter- uh, very ch- a game ch- changer for me, like something that changed my kind of my life, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, soon after, I heard about uh, John Coltrane, and I started to to really like uh, get onto the, those two guys, basically John, John Coltrane, and then Stefan Grappelli. So it was very different. And uh, but both uh, had something very strong, you know, for, for in my influence, I guess. You no, know? just something that I was very listening to a lot, you know, for many years. Like for, I, I guess that two years, I only listened to was was two record recording I had. I had the uh, uh, Giant Step, <laughs> Giant Step, so uh, John Coltrane, and I had uh, um, the DVD of. Uh, uh, Stefan Grappelli, actually at the time it was like a VHS, VHS, like cassette, no, of Stefan Grappelli playing with Michael Tainar, you know. So I was listening just to those uh, two recording uh, for years, you know, for two years, only that. So the path, so the the, the <laughs> that kind of turning point for you was sort of sort of that chance. Um, you know, overhearing what was going on in the in that restaurant or cafe, yes. and you know, all of the. Uh, it seems like all of the ear training uh, that that your mom may you know you may have picked up from your mom uh, probably came in fairly handy that evening. I would think. Oh yeah, it was a it was a very weird experience because I felt that that I, I was I was kind of a beginner. Finally, if you look at uh, at it, I mean, I was I was uh, at the conservatory. I, I I got some some uh, good uh, technique and things like this, but. As soon as I took the violin to improvise for the first time, 
it was like being a, a beginner uh, again, you know, and um, mm-hmm. like not knowing the instrument at all, you no. Know? Uh, and I, I thought that uh, actually it it seems for me to be like uh, almost like a new instrument, you know, like I had in front of me that I had played for many years already, but uh, like just trying to improvise on it was like discovering the instrument again, you know. So it was like very interesting, but. And th- yeah. and and this was when you were fourteen. Uh, I was probably thirteen or twelve at, at that time. But it was like before. It was before I got into jazz. You know, I started improvising, and then somebody told me, "Oh, you are you are improvising right now." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> cool." <laughs> well, then how did that how did that impact your your classical training going forward? Was that? Oh, it's been a it, it, it's it has been difficult for the. The first two years, because I was uh, very um, drawn into and like obsessed with jazz music, so I was I was basically uh, also my parents were having some problems. They, they divorced actually at that time, <laughs> so it was a very difficult time at, at home. You no, know, we could we couldn't really like uh, I couldn't and like feel very good because there are so much trouble in my family, and I mean, so many people have. have much more important trouble. But, uh, I guess for me, at age 12, 13, uh, it was something difficult. You know? So uh, I really focused on the music. It was uh, like my escape to, to not think about uh, the tensions and the problems. So I, I, I went uh, into my bedroom and I just like uh, put the music uh, 10 hours per day. Sometimes I was not even going to school because uh, I, was, I wanted to, to just stay uh, listening to tubus recordings and try to play along. Basically, I was just, uh, I didn't know anything about uh, harmony theory or anything. I was just like uh, playing uh, along with the recording, uh, more or less. Sometimes I was just like going on my own way, but sometimes I was trying just to, to play exactly what was played on the recording, starting with uh, the saxophone solos of John Cotrain or some. Uh, Stefan Grappoli, and then I, I went to the guitar solo, then to the piano solos when I when I was finished. You know, I had only one recording of uh, of each of us uh, legends, so I didn't. I was not in focus. I couldn't go on internet. I didn't have internet, so I couldn't go to internet and just find other things. I had only those things available in front of me, and. Uh, I don't know. It was like an intense experience. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting that even though the time period we're talking about wasn't that long ago, um, yeah. the world was totally different back then. Exactly. Because now, you know, somebody mentions uh, a recording artist to you, and you just can go to your phone and within seconds have... You know, you can have video performances on YouTube or, or on iTunes or whatever your uh, whatever service you use, and you really have everything at your fingertips. But but back then, the time period you're describing that you know you were a little bit before all of that kind of started yeah. to to creep into people's homes. Um, now, fast forwarding a little bit. You came <laughs> to New York in in 2007 or eight as I yes exactly I came the first time in 2007 what was the what was the impetus to 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 go from France to New York Uh, so uh, I was in France I was uh, 19 years old and uh, I was playing uh, I played a competition in France I didn't want I I hate uh, competition I I don't I don't want to do competition for one reason because uh, I think competition should be with yourself you know and and not with other people because for me um, music it's it's a uh, it's not a competition it's a creative uh, thing so something mm-hmm. that is, so just to come back to so I was uh, um, by accident I did this competition because somebody uh, took um, recommended me for this competition they put me in and I didn't even know so I did this competition and I, and I won I won the competition <laughs> I was surprised I was surprised and um, I was the first violin violin player to uh, to won this jazz competition. It was the uh, Les Trophées du Sunside in in Paris. No, were there were there any other violinists? Entered or, or no, were they? there were only saxophone player, trumpet player, a flute player maybe. But I was the only jazz uh, violin player uh, at the time. In the, I mean, in the, at, at, 
in that competition. So, <laughs> so uh, it, I did it, and uh, I was very surprised. I won, and I was on the radio, like a, a big radio in France. It's called Fr France Music, so it's like a national radio. Mm -hmm. And uh, so everything was going good, and uh, but I didn't have much gigs and not um, much things to do there because even after this uh, this award. Uh, I got uh, uh, the 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 scene was not very uh, um, like you know like uh, interesting for me. But nothing was happening, so uh, I had the chance to know Jean-Luc Ponty. You know Jean-Luc Ponty, the great uh, French uh, jazz violin player mm -hmm. that I met when I was 14 years old, and he, he um, I was in contact with him uh, almost like once a week. And he, he sent me uh, an email and he told me, man, you should go to to New York. You know, you should go to to the U to the U.S. because if you do something there, uh, it might move more for you. You have more opportunities and uh, it will be challenging for you too. So you should you should go there. And I was like uh, very, kind of scared, but a month after he told me that, uh, I got in touch with uh, Lonnie Plaxico. Uh, with a great uh, bass player mm -hmm. in, in New York, you know, and uh, he heard me, I think, on MySpace at the time, <laughs> and he, he so he t he asked me if I wanted to to come to to New York too. So when I was two people were telling me like Johnny Ponty was telling me to to go, and uh, Lonnie Plaxico uh, was inviting me uh, to a gig, you know, uh, I, I said okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go, but I didn't have any money, so. I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I want to go. He told me, you don't have any money, you can't go. So uh, I tried to, fi to find money. I, I, I asked all my family <laughs> to, to get some, uh, to get like, I think it was $900 uh, I got uh, total. And I said, I'm, I'm leaving now, I have $900. And actually this money went immediately to the round. To the I, went, I arrived to New York, I didn't know I had to pay $800 for the, for the round, or to stay one month. Right. So I, I had only one hundred dollar left. So I don't know what I did. I played in in some cafe, and then, I mean, and I also played with uh, Lonnie Plaxico. It was my first gig. And that, was, that's uh, a heck of a first gig to, uh, <laughs> to to walk into. You know, yeah, it's, I was kind of uh, I was kind of uh, innocent. You know, I didn't know like, what I was doing. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting that you describe. You know the the drive to go to New York specifically, not you know not Boston or DC or you know Miami or some other place on the East yeah. Coast. It's a lot like we. Um, I interviewed Steve Coleman on on a on a previous episode uh, of the podcast, and he had somewhat of a similar story. He he thought for 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 his own artistic development. You know, New York was where he needed to be. So in a very similar way, you know, he kind of put all of, you know, kind of put all the eggs in one basket and said, I'm going to New York. I'm going to, you know, in his case, he was performing, you know, a street performer initially. Um, but it's it's uh, it's it's interesting, like, you know, a generation apart, it's kind of the same drive that New York the scene there is just, you know, big enough that it really can uh, attract people from all over the country or all over the world, rather. Yes, uh, I agree. I totally agree with that. I came for for the same reason, like for to be to be there because I I didn't I never wanted to do any school. Many people talked to, talked to me at the time about Berkeley or any other schools, in New, even in New York, and I. I always had a problem with schools, you know, for music, uh, for improvisation, you know, because uh, I really want to do my own, my own, um, um, I don't know how to say, my own sauce, you know, like my own uh, little uh, cooking, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I just gather many informations and and I, I know exactly what I, I want. So, I mean, so, so if I want to 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 learn something uh, I, I i will like make the decision to 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 get a lesson or or to meet the, the person I, I admire or try to really 
analyze and, and, and learn the, the vocabulary and the language of uh, this, per this specific person. And and I was I was I, I tried like I think a, a school very very um, quickly uh, when I was in still in France, and uh, I stayed a week because I I couldn't like really uh, uh, relate, you know, because there is a lot of information but uh, too too little of what I really wanted to to learn, you know, so. Yeah, for me, it's my my only concern with some schools, you know. I mean, I, I'm a teacher today, so I, I understand, like, it, sometimes schools, like, it could be interesting, you know, but it, it, I think the students have to be aware and know why they're coming, they're coming to this specific school and should see with, with what teacher and for, for what reasons, you know, not, like, hoping to get a, a miracle or... A, a, uh, something that that, that can make them uh, play like uh, professional because it, it doesn't exist. There's no professional professional musician. No, we are all students. No, and we are, always have to seek for the. I mean, in my if this is my opinion, I think I'm trying always to 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 seek uh, new things and keep always keep learning. You know, and never stop like looking for. Uh, new things and exploring and you know so. well it, it's that spirit that that's yeah. it seems like it runs through your entire you know not only your kind of story of of, of growing up and and uh learning the you know tr classical training into jazz but also just the spirit of what comes through in your recordings that that is very evident that's I, I would say that's uh, I think anybody that listens to to your work would uh, would say that. Well, uh, thank you. <laughs> so now you're, you know, you from your first gigs in New York when when you came over, um, how how does it evolve? What what happens? You know, what happens next? I guess is the is the question. Um, so when I arrived to New York, I played this gig with uh, Donny Plaxico, and then uh, that's it. Basically, it was like uh, it was my only only gig, and uh, and then nothing nothing was because I was there for a month. No, I was supposed to to go back. So mm -hmm. it's what I did. Uh, I went back to France, and and then I realized how hard it was to to get there, to get a visa, to get like uh, the papers, I know all those things, and so I had to stay a few months. Like I think it was six months in Paris. Actually, uh, outside Paris, I was at my grandmother's uh, apartment, and I, I prepared the thing to come back. So finally, I got approved, and uh, I, I came back in uh, in 2008. So a year exactly later after my the first time, you know. And uh, so I. It was very difficult for the first uh, two years or three years, maybe. Uh, like so difficult that I couldn't even uh, eat uh, uh, three meals per day. I could eat only one meal per day, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, I didn't tell my mom or I didn't tell my parents because I was uh, too scared that they would be that they would ask me to come back, and and also I didn't want to to make them. Uh, feel anxious about me, so I, I was not saying anything. I was living in a Bushwick, very far, on the on the uh, in Bushwick, very far from the from Manhattan, mm -hmm. and uh, I was paying very very cheap rent. I think my my rent was like four hundred dollar. Uh, at the time, it was very cheap. No, uh, did it uh, ever? You know, here's an interesting question because yeah. all of what you're what you're saying is that you know, you came over to be an artist, you know, to be a musician. Um, were you, and that requires, you know, that requires so much discipline and energy and focus that sometimes you have to sacrifice, you know, some, some people we have on the show have a career where they have sort of like a day job. They may work in an office somewhere or, um, you know, work for some company and they try to, you know, try to play as many gigs as they can, you know, at night and on weekends. But, um, you know, did that ever cross your mind that maybe, 
oh. you needed you needed to do that to to help support yourself um, or was so, yeah so to answer this question i would say like my dad told me when i was a i was a kid i still remember he told me uh so do you want to do uh music or do you want to do something else because if you don't want to do music uh you have to do it 200 percent and you're gonna do everything and you will never do anything else and this is the this is if you really want to do it if you don't want to do you can do uh, music as a hobby and uh, and do other other things and secure your life and do a, like go to university and get diplomas and uh, he said but uh, if you don't want to waste your time my dad my dad told me that you no know, as a kid he said uh, you can just also just directly go for what you really want and not waste time you no know? so uh, it always um, uh, kind of uh, 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 even today, you no, know, I, I I always think about about that. I know it's kind of maybe I'm I'm privileged to have a a father with really like and a mother because my mom was the same. Uh, but really, like support uh, what I, I want to do and because they, maybe they understand because they are both artists and they they struggle too. They they had some struggles and some difficulties and my my father. Especially because my mom is is a dancer uh, and she only do, does does that. But my dad had to have a day job, and he was telling me he he doesn't want me to have a day job um, outside of music. If I so he was warning me since I was a kid, I think, and, uh, about uh, things I should do. Or like if I if if I really want to do something, I have to really uh, work really hard. So when I was in New York and I couldn't eat and uh, and I was losing a lot of weight, you know, because one day I took a picture and I think I, I sent it to my to, to my mom. I didn't realize how much weight I, I'd lost, and, and my mom was very afraid. She she couldn't call me because I think I didn't have like the the cell phone. I just like a, I was using a landline. So that she she called my neighbor or something, and and she was very. Uh, very, I mean, very, very scared, you know. But sure. I kept on, on going. I kept on going. I kept on. Uh, I was practicing all day basically because I didn't have any, any gig. So I, I was waking up in the morning, practice, practicing my scales and practicing eight hours per day. And I, sometimes I couldn't even like uh, practice anymore. I didn't have a force to practice. I was, uh, I was tired, tired of uh, just uh, not eating, you know. So I, I start to to make some some. Uh, um, some gigs like uh, in uh, in ca- cafe in in, uh, in Bushwick that didn't pay much at all, but they were giving me food. So I was happy to to go there just to eat a real meal for for like for me it was like a look of a luxe, you know, to to be able to to sit down at a table and eat a, a real meal, you know, like uh, because I was only eating uh, beans basically. I was going to the grocery in, uh, and buying like the the cheapest uh, beans, and I was not putting anything in it. Just like <laughs> I don't know it, it sounds very weird, but uh, <laughs> no, it's it's it, like, uh, <laughs> this is actually really illuminating because a lot of you know the I think we have you know a couple of different audiences for for the podcast, and some are you know o- older people that may be just interested in the arts or their performers themselves, but they're not you know they've already passed through that part of life but we also have some some younger people that i think are you know high school kids and and you know that age that are trying to figure out you know how do i become a professional actor (laughs) how do i do how do i make this work i don't want them to starve like this (laughs) well no but but it's in you know the there are some themes that run through the episodes and you know what you just related is is similar in many ways in that you have to completely devote yourself to what the mission is yeah and and if you're you know if you can create a circumstance for yourself where you get to be on your instrument a lot during the day without distractions you know you're going to get you know, you will become technically a better player. And if you work a lot and play a lot of gigs, you'll become a better, you know, musician and artist, Exactly. Yeah. but you can't do that. If you're sitting in an office 50 hours a week, it just doesn't, 
Um, you can't yeah. do both. I mean, I, I never, I never um, work in a, in an office. But at some point, I think at, after the third year, the third year I was there, because also you have to understand when I, I arrived to America, I didn't speak any English, you know, I didn't even understand English. I was like, right now you can hear my thick accent, you know, but uh, actually I'm, I'm doing much better than when I arrived in 2007, you know, I didn't speak and it was very hard for me because I could only play music to be understood with other musicians and to get, get any other jobs or also do anything else, I couldn't because people, when I wanted to order coffee somewhere, people kept, couldn't hear, uh, understand my name. You know, when I was saying, my name is Scott, they were saying, uh, your name is what? Is a car or whatever? You know, they couldn't understand what, what I was saying. And I was, I, I was getting very shy uh, to talk to, to people. So it was hard also in that, in that regard to, to find uh, also gigs, maybe to call a club to get a, to get a, a, a gig, you know, I, I was, if I called um, some jazz club in New York, they were, I was scared they would laugh at me or they were like, just uh, don't understand me. So uh, at some point I was, I was trying to find um, a balance and uh, try to find kind of a job, a, a job to get more money. So I was like, what is the closest thing to keep on playing music, uh, music and still be in the music? It was teaching. So I started like sounding, uh, emails and uh, going to, to schools in New York, you know, music school, public school. And finally I got this job, like, um, but it was, uh, it was interesting experience, but I'm glad I stopped because it was uh, every day I had to go to the public school in Queens, in, uh, in Brooklyn, and uh, very far, you know, and it was great because I was meeting very young kids that were very um, uh, full of, uh, energy and uh, and talent you know they they had so much potential and uh, it, it's really like uh, uh, i learned so much from that you know but in the same time it it took so much of my time you know i was uh, uh, doing that every day and i had to take a, a two hour ride sometimes to get there two hour ride uh, to, just to get there and with a bus the subway but, and then i was i was coming home i was uh, I didn't have any energy. I had some money because of the teaching, but and I could eat better. But I'd, I couldn't practice as much, and I was feeling very, very frustrated. And so, at some point, I decided to to stop. You know, so I, I did that for a year, I think. Like it was on my third year in in New York. I was twenty uh, twenty one, I think. And yeah, I did that for a year, and then I stopped. I stopped for two reasons because I couldn't practice enough, but also because I was getting frustrated with uh, the system here um, in public, public school, but they, they started a program and then they, they, they stopped the program, like in the, in the middle of the program, because, uh, because they think, they, they thought at the time that music was uh, not as important as, uh, you know, and, it, and I thought that it was terrible because for the, for the kids that were very into it, they were like, uh, Mostly uh, kids from a, a very uh, uh, poor, poor family, you know, they didn't have m so much money, they couldn't afford a school, um, uh, a music school. So I was there basically in this public school giving them uh, um, free lessons. They didn't have to pay anything uh, more to get those lessons, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, those kids, they are like between five years old, some are very, very young, and then 15 at like different grades. And... And it was magical to see the the talent that uh, like those kids they they just like they were so fast to, so fast to learn uh, things and they, they had so much interest in uh, into violin and uh, improvisation and I was also doing classical uh, teaching. No, but anyway, yeah, it was like a very interesting experience. Well, that's you know that's something with with respect to arts education in public schools that's that really unfortunately is not specific to new york that you know where where you see arts education kind of um getting smaller and smaller in the public school um schedule and um you know it's but it's great that you were able to uh to do that uh for those kids 
Yeah, I was I was surprised because I didn't have any specific diploma to to do that. But I I showed them my my resume and uh, uh, I think they they hired me. They did some uh, sort of background research on me, and and then they they hired me. And I didn't I actually learned uh, even more about uh, English teaching those kids because they are they they are talking to me and making sometimes fun of me. But in in a it was nice. You no, know, they were like a oh. Uh, are you, do you speak English or what is your accent coming from? And I was, uh, and I was uh, listening to them because I'm learning a lot by listening to other people. So I was just listening to them talking with each other, and it was interesting because they are uh, talking very, very, really fast and sometimes using uh, uh, some uh, special like uh, phrases. And so I learned. Uh, I think it was like for me a free class, a free English class. I was happy to be, to be you were, there. Well, you, well, and you, you, you were learning just as much from them in a, in a different way. Uh, yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So after, um, you know, I'm just kind of oh. thinking about the other things. I, I recall um, somebody had forwarded to me. This was before, um, before, and, and you're coming to the Allentown Jazz Fest in, in a month, we should, we should mention yeah. that's going to be a great, uh, we're all looking forward to that, um, performance. But I, I first, the, the first time I saw you perform actually was, uh, someone had forwarded me a YouTube clip of you performing in Stevie Wonder's band at, uh, the Prudential Center. And, oh, right. and, and it, mainly it was, it was, you know the the message uh, basically was like, you know, I didn't I didn't know you know violinists could play in in this style, and uh, that's sort of what what had had caught my eye. Um, you know how how do you go from you know teaching private lessons in in Queens to the on stage with Stevie Wonder at the at the Prudential Center? I mean how I mean um, that happened over a relatively short period of time yeah yeah but i mean it's uh it's the same thing you know, it's just like uh, uh sharing music with uh um yeah you know with people you know and stevie wonder stevie wonder is a, is a legend of, of course he's like a he's a master and he's a he's an icon you know mm-hmm. um and i i was also pretty excited excited exciting excited excited to i was pretty excited to do the the shows, you know, with him. I did many shows with him. I did like uh, the Madison Square Garden uh, two times, and then I did the uh, Barclays Center, uh, Prudential, and I was there also at, in Central Park, you know. And um, yeah, so I did this happened. It happened like uh, gradually because um, after my fo- my fourth year, I was in in the U.S. I started getting uh, some calls from uh, from other uh, musicians, you know. Uh, I got a call from uh, Dave Douglas. Dave Douglas, you know, like the the trumpet player, and uh, and I played in, in uh, for the music of Ornette Coleman. That mm-hmm. I've never been play. It was never uh, been per- performed for 25 years, and so we performed it uh, at uh, you know uh, in New York. And then uh, little by little, I got called for for other people. Either in the jazz community, like uh, Anthony Braxton, I did uh, even a recording with Anthony Braxton, uh, things like this. And then uh, at the same time, uh, I was playing some gigs in uh, nice places in New York, and uh, I don't know what what happened, but a producer saw me and asked asked me if I wanted to play at the David Letterman show, you know, uh, to back up an artist, right? To play in string. And I didn't know, I, I don't have TV, so I didn't know who, who David, David Letterman was. So I just thought it was, he was a singer. I assume he was, he was a singer. So I just said to the producer, oh, he's a singer. Uh, uh, I like to play with singers. And uh, <laughs> the producer thought I was joking. She was like, oh, you, you cracked me up. You're so funny. And I was serious. I didn't know that uh, he had the show. So I, w- I went on TV and I played the thing. Things start to... To go from there, like I got some, some call to play on uh, America's America Got Talent uh, to play the strings. Then I play on a uh, PBS for other singers, and I start uh, I play for Christina Aguilera for the NBA uh, All Star Game. You know, I record the string, the the violins. You know, for, who, for that. 
Who who was the singer that you had backed up on the David Letterman show? Um, so the singer, it was like a, a DJ singer. So they were like a singer. Uh, her name was Foxy. And the DJ was uh, Zed. Zed is a young DJ from uh, from Germany. Uh, so I think it, you write it uh, Z-E-D-D, uh, e, something like that. Zed. It's, it's pretty famous like in, uh, in, uh, in Europe and... Uh, Actually, in America, he has more young, younger people. He's a DJ, you know, and he plays piano too. And, and then, uh, yeah. And then, so you get into this kind of circle where yeah. you're on the David Letterman show. You then get a slot on America's Got Talent. Yeah, for two years, I did America's Got Talent. I record the strings, and then I, I played uh, on the on TV on on set during the show no and then um you, you know your your performance credits you know john legend um oh yeah jo- i did that too i forgot joss yeah. you know joss stone um yeah. it's it really is it, it's just amazing how it was fast yeah. <laughs> how it just keeps going yeah i, I was surprised when i got to uh, joss stone it's funny because she came to me and she she hugged me and I thought she was a she was a pretty girl. No, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about her, uh, because I've been in the, kind of in the cave. You know, I practice my violin and I, I don't watch TV. I just like I know only the music I, I listen to. You know, it's kind of and I should listen to more music. I, I think it's it's bad to be too like this. But anyway, so I was like this, and she came. She came to me. She hugged me and. I think she thought I was somebody else, probably. And everybody in the band was like, oh, you know, Justin. And I was like, oh, this is Justin. And then uh, I played a gig with her at the Apollo Theater in, uh, in New York, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, soon after, I did the John Legend with a Common, like the, you know, and uh, for the, it was for the Golden Globes, I think. Mm-hmm. And we did the NBC special where we, so you know, all those gigs. Basically, I was playing mostly um, uh, strings. So I was not improvising. You know, I was just using my skills uh, from uh, the classical kind of uh, my classical background. You know. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, still, uh, I, I was. It was really interesting for me. But the thing changed when I met uh, Stevie Wonder because the thing is like after playing all those gigs with uh, different people. Uh, I was in Boston, I think I was going on my way to Boston to visit, uh, to add a meeting with uh, the Berkeley uh, chair, like the string, the chair of the string department in Berkeley, because uh, uh, I might, I might like maybe teach there at some point. You no, know? so, um, but nothing is, is uh, it has been, uh, has been uh, confirmed yet. So, uh, um, so I was there and I got a, a phone call from a contractor and, uh, but, She's the contractor for Stevie Wonder, you know, and uh, I didn't know at the time. She just told me, uh, are you interested for, uh, are you free on this date? It's in New York. It's something you really, you really, really, really want to do. But she, uh, she said, I can, I can tell you who it is. So I was like, oh, but it must have be a big name. So what I did is like I Googled uh, the date and I said concert New York and I put the date and the only thing I could see it was like some gigs and then I saw Stevie Wonder playing at the Madison Square Garden thing and I was like oh I think it's this one <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it's Stevie Wonder but I I was joking kind of you know with myself you know and um, and then uh, a day later she called me and she said yeah this is Stevie Wonder wow so uh, I was like uh, kind of kind of very excited and stressed and shocked and everything because it's one of my my favorite uh, Musician, you know, and now it's even more because I know things uh, that I didn't even know. Um, so I went to the gig, and I remember when I played uh, at the gig, I was um, actually something funny. If we go back a little bit uh, back uh, about this gig, um, I played a few years ago. I played for Michelle Obama, you know, Michelle Obama uh, at the Capitol House, you know, in the, in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. So I played with a guitar player. And um, this guy, his name is Jerome Mitchell. No, he's a guitar player. So this guy I was playing with, we had a good connection. He's a blues guitar player. He plays jazz, blues, and everything. And um, 
And then I, I went back, so I'll come back to the gig with uh, Stevie Wonder. I was on the gig with Stevie Wonder, and this guy came to me. He was the personal assistant of Stevie Wonder, uh, another guy. And his name is Lamar Mitchell, no? And he said, hey, you played with my cousin in uh, Washington uh, a few years ago. He said, he told me that you, you are a good improviser. And uh, so this, this guy, the personal assistant of Stevie Wonder, was actually the cousin of uh, somebody I played with for uh, like, uh, like a gig uh, years years before. It, it is a small world, though. It really, it so really he, is. He went to Stevie, uh, his personality, he told him about me. So at the, at the break, during the sound check, actually, Stevie was playing... Um, giant step on the piano <laughs> right he was like uh improvising just to warm up you know he was warming up warming up you know? and uh i didn't know my my microphone was still connected so i just wanted to improvise a little bit so i just improvised a little bit on top of his chord and and at this at this moment uh i think uh, i didn't know my my microphone was on but still he heard me and he said he was improvising on the string you know and uh and then uh, he said okay you will do it tonight <laughs> I didn't even know, you know. So I, I was coming for a string gig, like to play just like the, 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 the music on the charts, you know. And I ended up like getting the, uh, the, the solo, you know. And then he said, "You're gonna, you're gonna get a solo tonight." And I was anxious. He left. He just he went back to the backstage and asked the other musician, "What, what is the solo? What is gonna be?" He said, "You don't worry. You will." Uh, he will call you. He will tell you. I didn't even know he's gonna at what moment, what tune, what what would be the song. You know? So <laughs> we stopped playing the concert in the middle of the concert. That uh, uh, Stevie Wonder called my name, you know, and asked me to stand up and play. And it was in C sharp minor, you know. <laughs> it was like the worst, the worst key for the worst key for the violin. But I, I'm glad I, I practiced uh, the difficult keys because it it I, I made it okay. You know, I could have played maybe better, but. It, uh, it, it was. I was in the moment, you know. It doesn't matter if I play good or, or not, you know. It's just like I was there playing at this moment, you know. Well, you're you're being extremely humble because when you when you say you 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 made it work, um, in fact, I'll go back and so on the podcast, um, there'll be a page for your episode where people can hear the the audio interview, and then we'll embed. The, the YouTube clip that I'm talking about, because I, I believe it's the same exact event that you just described. Oh, yeah, and yeah. for people who, who, when they see it, they'll understand. But it literally is a show-stopping moment when, when Stevie calls your name, because everybody um, everybody else in the band, as I recall, stops playing. Yeah, I mean, um, the bass player is playing, and the drummer, and uh, Stevie is playing the piano, actually. He's uh, comping on the piano. But um, uh, but yeah, everybody has stopped playing. There's only bass, drums, and uh, and Stevie. No. And there's and there's not many musicians that can can turn a Stevie Wonder performance into, you know, the the Scott. It, you turned it into the Scott Tichet Quartet there for <laughs> for, for a couple of minutes, which uh, which is really <laughs> remarkable. Um, no, it was, it was scary. It was, it was scary because I didn't know if I could play long or not. And then the bass player was winking at me, saying like, "Keep going, keep going, don't stop." You know, like it was it, the bass player is Nate, Nate Watts. You know, right. one of the of the legendary bass player. He plays he played with uh, Stevie for forty years, and he is he, on all the major recordings. You know, he plays with everybody. He's a he's, a, he's very an amazing uh, musician, but also an amazing an amazing person because he. After the show, he, he really, he, he was really supportive, and and uh, I'm still in contact with him. You know, I have his uh, his uh, cell phone number actually, and so sometimes we we talk. You know, but uh, it's like it, it it was very like intense moment for me. I was really stressed before uh, when I was in backstage because I knew I was I was going to do a solo, but I didn't know when. And all this time, it was there, the 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 group there, the musicians of TV. And Stevie himself were very supportive and very encouraging, you know. So I think it's uh, I was in a good hands, you know, in good hands at this moment. No know? doubt. Well, Scott, I want to say thank you so much for spending some time with us this afternoon, and um, we will have um, some links to your music on the webpage. It's creativeconfidential.net. 
and you just click on Scott Tache's episode and you'll have the, the audio uh, portion of the interview as well as we'll, I'll go back and and find that video that we were I was referring to and you were describing because uh, it really is it really is something uh, something to see. Oh, I, I really appreciate it, and I, I just wanted to to add one more thing. Sure. But um, I'm uh, I just recorded uh, an album, no yep. uh, CD, and uh, uh, I, I've really like uh, an amazing like musicians with me on on board, and uh, an amazing uh, produ- producer. Uh, his name is Donald Brown. And he's a he's a, he's a piano player and a composer and a, an amazing uh, producer, you know. And the, there will be like some special guests, you know, including Chris Potter, uh, Pedrito Martinez, uh, Justin Brown, uh, Stevie Wonder will be there too. So uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm excited and uh, I'm looking forward to for this new new project to come uh, to to be released, you know. Well, and we'll also link uh, to that new record, and and also I think the tracks that we we ran as part of this uh, podcast were from your 2012 release, Brooklyn Bazaar. Um, but but we'll have uh, we'll link to everything so that people can go right go right to uh, to okay. iTunes and and uh, help support you. Okay, I appreciate. Thank you so much for for your support. You know. <clears throat> Okay, well, again, Scott, it's been a pleasure, and we are looking forward to uh, to uh, seeing you at the 2016 Allentown Jazz Fest. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. To have Brian consult for your arts organization or public speaking engagements, or if you have legal matters you want to discuss, contact him at tucklaw.com. That's T-U-K-Law.com. For future episodes, please subscribe to Creative Confidential on iTunes or visit us at creativeconfidential.net. This has been a Steve Mittman social media creation. Creation. Steve Mittman, socialmedia.com.